0: Hey guys, it's Ben Mitten
1: and Casey Finn,
0: and we are here to talk to you on Apologetics Discipleship today about some passages that, in particular, Casey, I would say are the hardest passages for me in Scripture to deal with.
1: Okay.
0: Uh, I know last time we talked about some that were in particular hard for for you surrounding the, uh, the Canaanites. Right. And... And for me, the passages you don't are, mind.
1: You don't mind genocide, basically. is <laughs> oh, no. what you, you're uh, saying. Yeah.
0: For those who were concerned about that previous statement, go back to the <laughs> previous podcast and listen in. <laughs> I just like, uh, but the those passages for sure have given me pause, and yeah. I think they deserve a, a very intentional study. Absolutely, um, especially in t- today's time where we're a bit removed. From anything that is close to a cultural context uh, and especially the the method of writing. Right. You just are Absolutely. not familiar with. Yeah. And, I, and I think that in today's podcast, it'll be similar principles that we need to keep in mind. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm just going to go ahead and tell you what those passages are. The first one, primary, uh, for me, that's the the tough passage, is Hosea chapter 9, verse 15. And I first stumbled on this passage, of course, uh, without any context. That's, right. that's the way that you want to come to a passage if you really want to know what it says is just, Completely rip it out from its. Don't certain, even
1: pay attention to the context. <laughs> yeah. Treat it like a fortune cookie yeah. message, right? Yeah,
0: that's that's the way you do it. Uh, no, no, <laughs> I actually I, I think if if I'm a betting man, how I came to this this passage was by <clears throat> listening to some debates and studying Islam, okay. believe it or not, and I. Remember first hearing how in the Quran there are several passages in the Quran where um, a recitation is given and it it would read something like, Allah loves not the unbeliever, Allah loves not the evildoer. Right, right. right. And I remember this being trotted out as an evidence, rightly so, against the uh, feasibility of. Allah existing because this would malign his moral character Mm. you know a God who is is not loving uh, seems to be a God that's not worthy of worship and uh, and if you want to check out some great debates on, on that you can check out William Lane Craig versus Shabir Ali and I remember when we and Greg was debating Shabir, he he brought this evidence to the floor. And so I wondered about passages that talked about where, like, for instance, Psalm 5 or Psalm 11, where you may have a passage that says God hates an evil doer or one who right. works iniquity. And so whenever I came to those passages, I, I started to have to think through those, and I come to conclusion of, of this is how I dealt with those passages, is that the meaning of the word hate, I think we have a pretty common um, understanding of what it means to hate. But I think anyone who has grown up with siblings, uh, cousins, or something like that, at times they have been so angry, you know, they lost a game, or, or maybe they stole something from right, them, like, right, man, right. I really, I hate you. Uh, but at the same breath, you would, you know, you would help them, or you would dive in right, front of right, a, right. a car or whatever. Um, and so hate being more of an an emotion of a dislike of a certain action or something like right. that, and, and love being something that is lasting. It's a choice. And and so that's how I dealt with that, those, those passages where I think God genuinely does hate a, a worker of iniquity, but at the same time loves them and at the same time always planned on dying for them. Yes. Now, whenever I came to this passage, there was a... Uh, uh, a, a stone put in front of my foot, so to speak, because the passage doesn't say that God hates something. Rather, it comes right out and says in verse 15. So this is Hosea nine fifteen. Every evil of theirs is in Gilgal. There, there I began to hate them. So there it actually does say that in the beginning. But uh, going on, because of the wickedness of their deeds, I will drive them out of my house. I will love them no more. All their princes are rebels. And so for this, I was put in the position of like, oh my goodness, you know. God is
1: explicitly a, saying he's not going to love them. Right. And that's right. different than saying He, you hate someone.
0: Exactly. And and here, I mean, the words couldn't be more clear as right. far as my mind is concerned. So you look, in, you look in original languages and stuff like that, and sure enough, it's as clear as a veil. Even in the Septuagint here, you got the word, uh, a form of agape used. Right. Uh, he will not... Agape, it continued to agape them. And so uh, I was set on my heels. This really bothered me. Yeah. So much so that I actually called in to Stand to Reason. Greg Kokel's podcast asked could... specifically about this verse. And so uh, it it really caught me off guard. And, um, and so. Is this the same sort of feelings that you had whenever maybe you looked at the passages yeah. about Yeah, I would Canaanites? agree. I, it,
1: it was something that was, like, in the back of my mind and, and just created doubt, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, it festers. Right, because it's me? like, yeah. well, I know that the resurrection mm-hmm. has lots of historical evidence. I know Jesus is who he's, you know. I mean, I, I look at all of this and it's like, I've got all this faith, but then mm-hmm. you have this little, like, a worm in an apple. yeah that's yeah. in the back of your mind, that you don't even really think about normally, but every time it's brought up or whatever, um, something will cause you to think about it, and it's there, yeah. and it's like this unresolved issue that you just kind of push away, but I think yeah. if you don't deal with it, it yeah. will continue to fester, and it will eventually yeah. eat away at your faith.
0: I've heard um, Chip Ingram define the phrase, gnashing of teeth, and it's really interesting the way that he uh, that he that he describes this, and so he's thinking in, for those who, who do not receive the Lord and are separated from His presence, that that they would gnash their teeth, and it's almost like the way I think that if I'm if I'm recalling correctly, the way Chip would 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 describe it is: imagine that you took a test, and then you got the test back; it's been graded, and you look at a problem that you got wrong, and you realize that you knew the correct answer. You just didn't mark it correctly in that instance. You you would grind your teeth and you'd be like, "Man, I knew it! Yeah. I knew it!" You know, right? And and it's the same idea uh, here. I think sometimes whenever I whenever I, I think about this passage or something like that, it can almost make you grind your teeth a little bit. You're just right. like, something just doesn't make sense here. Something's right. not adding up." And because you have this picture of God um who who loves the whole world. Right.
1: For God's right. love right. the world. One
0: of the most popular verses right. and then and then you got this passage here and it's like, "Well, what's going on?" Yeah. And so uh I I came back to the passage. wanted to deal with it um
1: and I think that that is the best way to deal with when we have issues like that or yeah. doubts is to address them head on mm-hmm. instead of pushing them away. Yeah. You know. Yeah.
0: And sometimes It's easy, and sometimes it's not. Right. Sometimes it takes a lot of work. Yeah, absolutely. uh, So whenever you come to this passage here in Hosea, I think it's important to remember what the book of Hosea is in general. Right. And number one, we have uh, the fact that this is a book of a prophet. It's prophetic literature, Right. which is just filled oftentimes with all kinds of Uh, symbolism uh, hyperbole hyperbole is is common as throughout and and so uh, you don't expect wooden literalism
1: no because this is sort of what I think of it as is kind of the preaching Mm -hmm. so there's a lot of rhetoric that's involved right
0: yes Yes. yeah and another fact about Hosea uh, in particular so you do, you do have this in hints in other passages, but in particular with Hosea, the picture of marriage is brought right into the front of the picture. Right. And for Hosea, it's a very, it's not a picture, it's reality. Yes. Yeah. The Lord actually commands him to betroth, to take unto himself a prostitute, uh, and. And the Lord knows that this is a prostitute. Uh, this is not like, well... And Hosea, Hosea knows that it's and prostitute. And Hosea knows. It. It's not like, well, the Lord's like, well, uh, this this Go this pick a lady. Well, she'll turn from her ways, Hosea, and right. she'll be faithful to you. No, he knows exactly what's going to happen. And uh, and Hosea does too. And, of course, what, what happens is she commits adultery uh, on Hosea um, and he is married to a woman now that is sleeping with other men and this is this is not a frivolous thing for hosea right. and i know that today it's not frivolous when you said when this happens that people still get very angry they feel betrayed but i i just want to emphasize that for hosea <laughs> This is a a big deal. Right. It wasn't that you would get a divorce if something like this happened, but you were liable to be uh, brought under the punishment here if something like this happened. Think of think of the woman caught in adultery in in the Gospel of John. What were they getting ready to do to her? Right. And uh, and so for Hosea, this is huge. And why the question is is why did the Lord ask Hosea to do this? Well, the answer. Uh, lies in the Lord's own relationship with his people, uh, Israel. Uh, he is trying to paint a picture uh, before the audience of a physical reality. That is bearing witness of a spiritual condition in Israel. Israel is committing what is often called, and even in the same chapter that we're dealing, with, chapter nine, uh, playing the whore, so to speak. They are going after these false idols. They are worshiping false gods, and Yahweh is there, and he's like, "I've I've brought you to myself." I you belong to me. And that's the whole point of him calling himself. He says, my name is jealous in Exodus. Uh, And it's because he is a, a jealous God. He is after his bride. If his bride starts looking after other gods, he gets jealous, rightly so. And in this case, that's what's going on. That's what's going on. So they're going after false gods and forsaking the one true God and And here we have in Hosea 9 this uh, marital relationship. And what I learned, Casey, is that it is in that very context of a marital relationship and a marital love that is being talked about in verse 15. And so whenever the, the prophet is speaking about the Lord and says, I will love them no more, he is speaking in the way that a husband loves a wife. Not in general speaking, like we have in John's Gospel, where God so loves the world, and so uh, this this idea of uh, blessing that He gave them—they're not their clothes are fine; they're not running out of food. He's going to protect them, provide for them. So
1: all this—do you think that this could be equivalent to or similar to God saying, "I'm going to divorce you"? Yes, absolutely. And that's His point. Yes, is He's no longer going to be their her husband. Yes, there's going to be a divorce, and as a result, okay. His love He yeah. will love them no more. Yeah. Um yeah so that and and to me this goes back to how important it is f- to look at the context yeah right yeah and to not treat scripture like we just pull a verse out of yeah. out of thin air and yeah. say here's my life verse
0: yeah i think this is an excellent example, too, of uh, a lot of times the context, actually I would say 90% of the time maybe, the context is in the immediate surrounding verses. Right. Here, it's broader. Right. It's over the whole book. And that can be something to look out for when dealing with a passage. Uh, is, is that you have to Uh, sometimes get a uh, what is it I remember one book being titled The Bible from 30,000 Feet you want to get this high view of the book before before you start picking verses uh, or else you'll 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 fall over yourself just like I did and so uh, I think that's one of the hardest passages in Scripture um, to to wrestle with but I think that uh, the answer that that we've come up with is a is a solid one, yeah. and I think it stands to uh, to context and it really does justice to the text. And I think it's exactly what the Lord had in mind whenever He spoke through the prophet.
1: Isaiah. Yeah, yeah. So, did you have another one?
0: There's one more, and uh, I think we just got time for it. Uh, it is Psalm 137. I actually came across this passage very recently uh, in a a documentary series called The Family that Netflix has going on. Oh, okay. And uh, and it's really interesting that there is one of the guys who's playing um, the guy who actually wrote the book that the documentary is based off of. Okay. And he's playing that character in a dramatic scene. You know how they do documentaries? You don't actually have the person right. playing the scene. They get some paid actor to do it. Yeah. Well, the actor's there, and he has questions about the Bible, and he's become a part of this group of men who are holding each other accountable. So he's
1: a Christian? Or no? He,
0: he had doubts. I'm not sure. Okay. A, okay. A, at least in a documentary, he, he claims to be a Christian. Okay. Okay? okay. And, um... And so I guess I have no reason to doubt that he is, but there's a, he has questions, he has doubts, which it's okay, that's perfectly fine. Absolutely. Now this, and, he, and he's asking one of the brothers in the group about a passage, and this is the one. Okay. And I've heard this passage, uh, you know, brought out. Uh, and laid bare before a believer b- uh, before and, you know, deal with this, so right. to speak. And, and, of course, it's hard. So let's just read the passage totally divorced from its context to let our, our audience get the full force of it. So it's in chapter uh, 137 of the Psalms, and it's verse 9, the very last verse in the chapter. It says, Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. Exclamation point! And you think about that, and man,
1: that's rough. Well, could this be talking about like oysters? So that your little ones, your <laughs> no, little
0: <laughs> no. I think it's it's definitely uh, talking about exactly what it sounds like. You know, children, these small, um, the little ones, and. And so this is the passage that's brought up in the, uh, in the documentary. And of course, Casey, it got no response. Yeah. It just yeah, yeah. completely ignored. Uh, and this happened on more than one occasion whenever a passage just drawn out by itself. Even in uh, even one instance, my, my personal favorite, it was half a word.
1: In the documentary? Yeah. Well, what was it?
0: It's the word uh, fearfully. Oh. And uh, and where the, the psalmist says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And it's like, you know, it's, it's actually a praise to God.
1: Right,
0: right, right. And he just goes, I am fearful. And then the, the documentary voice, like the, the guy speaking over, comes over yeah, and, and yeah, just yeah. starts talking. And it's like, Is that right? what's going on, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and so anyway, um so Psalm 137, what could this be referred to? I mean, what what is this referring to? Why did he say that? You know, is that something that was just commonly wished upon one's enemies, that, you know, uh, no matter what the scenario, or was it uh, personal right. to the psalmist? Here, we have uh, what is commonly referred to as a precatory psalm. And what this would be, what, what a precatory psalm is, is a, is a psalm, uh, that is coming from a position of, of a person wishing that God would bring justice on their enemies. And so um, and so the, the person has been wronged, perhaps, right. and they're like, Lord, you know, they're, they're not in a time of like, you know, like you might think of someone laying on their pillow and they're just writing out these right, wonderful right, right. melodies. Uh, this is a position of raw emotion and uh, and he is asking for justice to be meted out
1: right So and, think about uh, being un, you know unjustly imprisoned mm-hmm. you know and you've done nothing wrong and mm-hmm. then you've had a government that has treated you unjustly. I mean mm-hmm. maybe even think about the civil rights movement and, mm-hmm. and African Americans being thrown in jail for mm-hmm. sitting at a table. Yeah yeah. Um, only worse, because yes. this is talking about a group of people who came into a foreign nation and wiped them out and yep. Yep. S- took them from their homeland and mm-hmm. brought them to another place that mm-hmm. they didn't know and mm-hmm. they didn't know the people. Mm-hmm. And now they were basically um, servants. Absolutely. I mean, they're in a, a state yep. of subjugation and oppression, total Absol- uh, oppression. Yeah,
0: yeah. And during this time, whenever they leveled the place before taking them, uh, there was some... <clears throat> Some vile acts done. Yes. Uh, and so let me read the entire psalm here. Uh, and I think it will really change the tone. So now we know what's going on. So this is this is um, the Babylonians have came in and ransacked Israel, taking them captive. And now I want you to hear what, what goes on here. So this is Psalm 137, starting in verse 1. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. And so you can already see this picture taking place. He is in Babylon, and he is remembering his homeland, and he's weeping. On the willows there we hung up our lyres, for there our captors required of us songs, and our tormentors mirth, sang. Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. And then he turned and said, Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem, how they said, Lay it bare, lay it bare, down to its foundation. Old daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, blessed shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us, and so, whenever, and then, yeah, and you then have the, the line. passage, yeah, then it's blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock, and so it's it's really interesting that many people may get mad here at this psalmist for saying that last line or writing that last line. But as far as the time whenever this line is written, the only one who's had their sons and daughters bashed in are the Israelites.
1: Right, right. The ones who are writing this yeah. have experienced it.
0: Yeah, this. they're the only ones that have experienced it so far. And and you would just imagine this person who's just had this happen, and now people are saying, okay, we've done this to you, now I want
1: you to sing, sing for song. us. Sing for us, yeah. To basically entertain us now. Yeah, entertain. now that we've we have yeah. killed your children, yeah. we've brought you to this foreign land. You don't know yeah. do anything now. You be you know, sing us a song. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's a mockery. It is, yeah. and so I think that in some ways they are mocking the idea by singing a song. Yeah, and the, their song is you're going to be treated the same way that we were treated. Yeah, yeah,
0: and so it's a. Uh, it, it's a whole different picture whenever you actually read it in its context, immediate context for a year, and then taking the, the background of the story in, into place. And so the, the psalmist is praying this from his raw emotion, and I, I don't think that what we can say here is that we... Are what we should what we should not say is that we are in agreement with this psalmist that this should happen to this right. nation, but what we can see here is and what we can learn from this is that this psalmist prayed to God without uh, holding back. Yeah, he didn't hold back. He just no laid it out before the Lord how you felt, and uh, and really it's in those times that the Lord can begin to work in your heart.
1: Right. And uh, so, I, you know, I've I've said a number of times when I've you know talked to people who are dealing with difficult situations. For example, last year I had a uh, someone who came to me and and she had miscarried mm-hmm. and um, was having a really difficult time dealing and processing that. You know, mm-hmm. and I told her that I, I think when we read the Psalms, we read um, every emotion under the sun, mm-hmm. and I encouraged her. To, God already knows what you're feeling, yeah. So let Him know how you're feeling. Voice mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. because I don't think God is so upset with us when we're angry or when we say things out of, mm-hmm. you know, towards Him as much as He is when we go silent and ignore Him. Yeah. To me, it's better to be yelling at God yeah. than ignoring Him. Yeah. And yeah. so, um, just recently, I talked to her again, and she was talking about how, well, she had just, um, just had a baby recently. Yeah. And so you know she was talking about working through that process of grief with mm-hmm. her lost baby yes. and how helpful it has been th- over the past year mm-hmm. to process by being honest with God and i think that's one of the things the psalms teach us is that we can bring any of our emotions no matter how raw yeah. and we can lay them before him and mm-hmm. um he can work with us through them and ultimately i think that because of christ and because of what christ taught you know this whole idea we see kind of the other side of it we see um you know the ideal, mm-hmm. but we also understand through the psalms that these are emotions that we will deal with, yeah, and so the idea is not to end with the emotion, the idea is to push through the emotion to God's presence and that he can get us get absolutely. us through all of it
0: absolutely, and you think about this passage and um and how he exposed himself to the Lord, and you think about Jesus uh, whenever he teaches on prayer the idea of forgiveness no matter what right. is still there and and what we are commanded to do. And I would I would be willing to say that that was God's desire is that even this person would be able to come to a place where he says vengeance belongs to the Lord right. alone and it's my responsibility to to uh, forgive debts as I've been forgiven debts as right. well. So, and so that's all we have for you today. Uh, thanks for joining us on Apologetics Discipleship. I hope that we help you through some passages